0: This is a move. Well, welcome, everyone. It is so good to see all of you here today. I think you can tell that we are a little bit fired up and excited, expectant for God to move in our midst. Can I get an amen? Amen. If you're new with us, let me just introduce myself real quick. My name is Pete. I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor here, and we are beyond thrilled and excited to have you joining us today as we are continuing our series called When Pigs Fly. Now, before I get into that, I just want to start by celebrating the fact that yesterday as a church family at our church picnic, we got to celebrate 16 lives made new by the power and grace of Jesus Christ, who went down with the old and up with the new as they went and took their next step and got baptized to publicly declare to the world that they have made Jesus the leader of their lives. We just sang a song that says, this is a move. And I declare all the time here today, and I hope you guys believe it, that we don't wait for a move of God. We're not waiting for a move of God. We believe we are in the middle of a move of God right now. Amen. Lives are being transformed every single week by the grace and power of Jesus Christ. We're continuing this When Pigs Fly series today. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things that I think we all understand that statement is a sarcastic remark when people talk about things that are likely never gonna happen. And in our culture, I find that a lot of people have a When Pigs Fly attitude when it comes to this idea of the miraculous, that God still doesn't do that in our midst. And even if he does, he would never really do it for me. And if you missed last week, we talked about how God has miraculous authority over darkness in the name of Jesus, and that we learned that in Christ, those of us who've been made new by Jesus Christ in whom the Spirit of God dwells, then we have miraculous authority over darkness in the name of Jesus. But today we're going to continue our discussion by looking at another type of miracle that you can read about in the scriptures, and we're going to talk about miracles of healing miracles of healing. And I believe with all my heart that today, before we leave, we're going to see some miracles take place in this place. I don't know if you guys realize this, but this building, actually, we purchased this building in 2010, but it was built in 1969 as part of the Catholic diocese. And this was formerly St. Catherine's of Siena. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but St. Catherine's of Siena was the birthplace in western New York of the Catholic Charismatic Renewal, where a move of the Holy Spirit swept through this church. They held healing services here. These walls have witnessed miraculous healings take place. And I believe with all my heart that these walls and our eyes are today, once again, going to see miraculous healings take place. I believe it was always in God's heart that this place would be a place where he demonstrated demonstrates his power in our midst. We're going to see miracles happen today. How many of you believe that God is still able to heal people's bodies today? Well, I'm so glad to hear that because I believe that the attitude of expectation is the breeding ground for miracles. That when God's people gather together with hearts full of faith, expecting him to move, then the miraculous happens. You know, a recent Barna study actually reports that 66% of of Americans believe that God is still able to supernaturally heal people today. As people of faith, of course, we're not surprised by this. You know, We read the Bible and we know from Old Testament to new, from Elijah to Jesus to Peter to Paul, there are hundreds upon hundreds of stories and examples of how God supernaturally healed people. In the gospels alone, there are at least 30 distinct individual accounts of Jesus healing people. We know he opened blind eyes and opened deaf ears. He healed lepers. He even raised the dead to life. Speaking of raising the dead, when you see an ax, the apostle Paul one time was preaching so long that there was this kid sitting in the window of an upper story of this house and fell asleep while Paul was preaching, fell out of the window and died. And Paul was like, oh my gosh, that must've been really long winded. He went down and laid hands on the kid and God supernaturally brought him back to life. And I'm so thankful. I know I've caused some people to fall asleep in my sermons. I don't know if you realize this, but I can see you. I know that you've fallen asleep in my messages, but I'm thankful that I've never, to my knowledge, killed anyone with a long, boring sermon. One of the most controversial miracles of all time actually happened when uh, Jesus, I don't know if you know this, he healed Peter's mother-in-law one time, which is why scholars believe Peter actually denied Jesus three times. Is that too much? (laughs) I actually told my mother-in-law last week um, that... When I use mother-in-law jokes, it is in no way, shape, or form a reflection of how I feel about her. My mother-in-law actually lives with us, and she's on the front row here today, and I just wanted to let her know that when I share these jokes, it's, it's just me trying to get a laugh out of you guys and kind of lighten the mood a little bit, but maybe that one was a little bit too far. I, I don't know. <laughs> I'll reel it back a little bit. But I believe that God still does miracles today because God said in Exodus 15, 26, I am the Lord who heals you. Not I was... I am. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. When Moses asked God who was speaking to him out of a burning bush what his name was and who he was to tell Pharaoh was sending him, God said, I am that I am. The present progressive, it is never not true that I am whatever I say I am. I am the God who heals you, and he is still the same God who heals all of our diseases. And when Jesus would come, he would declare in John 14, 12, very truly I tell you that whoever believes in me, which includes all of us, those of us that believe in Jesus, will do the works I have been doing, the works that Jesus walked around laying hands on the sick and seeing people healed, that we would do the same works that Jesus did and even greater things than these Jesus said that we would do. Jesus healed the sick and the same power, that enabled him to heal the sick is able to heal the sick today. And he does it through the prayers of his people. We know that with God, all things are possible and he is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we can ask, think, or imagine according to his power that Paul says in Ephesians 3.20 that is at work, who knows the next of it, at work within us. According to his power that's at work Within us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, it says, is alive inside of us. And that's why we can believe for greater works than Jesus even did, which is why we pray for miracles. It's why we pray for miracles. And about a year ago, I experienced a minor miracle, if there is such a thing. You know, I think all miracles are major, but this was, I don't know, maybe a small one, but. About a year ago, my son, we were tucking our kids into bed, and my older son Samuel had been battling for about an hour this incessant hiccuping fit. Like, couldn't stop hiccuping. It was to the point where it was actually hurting him every time he'd hiccup. And he's like, Daddy, would you please pray that God would heal me of these hiccups so I can go to sleep? And I said, Of course, buddy. And so I prayed for him, and I said, Jesus, would you heal Sammy and take these hiccups away so that he can go to sleep? In the name of Jesus, amen. And as soon as I said amen, he hiccuped again. And I was like, you know what? No. I just, something came over me, and I said, in the name of Jesus, I command these hiccups to stop. Jesus, would you heal him of this? In Jesus' name, amen. And he waited. And there were no hiccups. And he turned and he looked at me with eyes big and wide. He's like, Daddy, God heard you. He just healed me of my hiccups. And God used that to build my son's faith. And if I'm honest with you, he used it to build my faith because I was surprised by it too. There was a part of me that didn't expect the hiccups to stop, but I used the authority that we have in Jesus' name and the hiccups stopped. But how many of you here today Have ever asked God for miracle and it didn't happen. Yeah, almost everyone here. And I can relate, because I've been there too. I've shared with you guys in the past the story of my father when I was twenty-six. I was twenty-one, he was forty-six at the time when we were told that he was diagnosed with myelodysplastic syndrome and was given two years to live. And as soon as we were given that news as a family and as a church, we surrounded him in prayer. We started asking God and believing God for a miracle. And one day in prayer, the day after we got that report, I was reading the scripture and I came across a verse that I felt like God was giving me that this sickness shall not end in death, but it will be for the glory of God. Your dad's not gonna die, I'm gonna heal. I believed that with all my heart. I declared it, I stood on it, I told other people it. And two days later, he died. And I'm like, what gives God? I thought you were going to heal my father. And I think this is the tension that so many of us that grew up in the church or, or who are people of faith have when it comes to understanding. We know God can, but why does he sometimes choose not to? It's a tension that many of us feel. I know he can, but why does, I don't understand why he sometimes answers some prayers and other times he chooses not to. It leads to a lot of doubts and questions when we see sometimes an unexplainable reason, like, God, I, I believe you can heal my son, but why is he still fighting these migraines? God, I believe you can heal my daughter, but why is she still facing depression? And when God doesn't heal someone close to us, it's easy for us to wonder sometimes if God is even close to us. And sometimes we draw our own conclusions and we sometimes assume that either God's not good or maybe he doesn't care or worse yet, maybe he's not even real. Maybe this whole thing is just, Some made up farce. If we believe God can, we know that He has, but He doesn't do what we know He can do and we believe He should do. How do we reconcile that with the belief that God is also a good God? And that's what I want to talk about today. And I want to talk about it in a way that I hope will answer some of our questions. And at the same time, build our faith to believe that God is still a God who hears our prayers and is still a God who does the miraculous even today. And so I want to start by giving you one big idea, one key foundational thought, if you will, that we're going to build from today. And that idea is this. We know that our God heals, but he doesn't heal everyone every time. Our God heals, but he doesn't heal everyone every time. And we know this to be true in our own lives because most of you just raised your hands a moment ago when I've asked if you've ever prayed for a miracle that God didn't do for you. But I think sometimes we don't realize how often this statement is true, even in the scriptures. I want to give you three examples of people that were prayed for that didn't get the healing that they had asked for. The first is a guy named Trophimus, who was one of eight companions that accompanied the apostle Paul on his third missionary journey. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20, we can see that Trophimus got sick, and Paul writes that Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. This is the same Paul that laid hands on a kid who died from one of his long-winded sermons and saw him raised back to life. And I'm sure Paul prayed that Trophimus would get well, but he didn't. And so not only did God, God not heal him, Paul also just left him there as he continued in his missionary journey. Timothy is the second person who we can read about who was Paul's spiritual son. And we know that Timothy had these stomach issues and Paul writes in 1 Timothy 5, 23, he tells Timothy to use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Don't you believe that Paul and Timothy both had prayed on multiple occasions that God would heal him of these multiple illnesses, these frequent illnesses, but it hadn't happened yet. And so Paul is telling Timothy, do what you can in the natural. Take a little bit of wine to try and settle your stomach. And even Paul, the apostle, the great apostle, man full of faith, we read about in Corinthians. He had asked God for this, for deliverance from this thorn in the flesh, it says, this thorn in his side, which scholars have debated about what it actually was. Some believed it was maybe failing eyesight. Some believe it was a temptation or some kind of a sickness. We don't know what it is, and I think it's on purpose that it was left out because we all have a thorn in our side that God can deliver us from. But we We see that Paul said, I asked the Lord three times to heal me of this, to deliver me of this. And the word in the original language wasn't just three quick, hey, God, heal me of this and then move on. No, it was this impression of like three ongoing seasons of pleading, persistent heart cry cry prayer, seasons of prayer, three different seasons when Paul said, God, please take this thing from me. And God, in essence, answered his prayer and said, no, because I want you to learn that my grace is sufficient for you, that my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Our God heals, but he doesn't heal everyone every time. And when he doesn't heal everyone every time, it can be tempting for us to wonder if he heals anyone anytime. And how do we deal with that? Sometimes well-meaning Christians have offered their own thoughts to people who've not received a healing that they were asking God for and have have said a whole bunch of hurtful things that have caused some people to leave the church or worse yet, some people have even left the faith. As these well-meaning Christians try to say, well, you know what, maybe you've got sin in your life and that's why you didn't get your healing. Or you're praying wrong or you're doing something wrong. And yes, we need to get sin out of our lives. Yes, we need to pray with boldness and with faith. But the problem with these suggestions is that they paint God in some light that he's like this supernatural vending machine that only dispenses healing water whenever we get the secret code right and push just the right buttons. But that's not the way God works. It's not like that. So, why doesn't God heal everyone every time? When I read the Gospels, I find three different reasons why Jesus didn't always do miracles. And I want to give those to you really quickly. Number one, Jesus refused to perform miracles to prove himself. He didn't do miracles to prove himself. How many of you as a kid did some things like I do? Like, do you ever say, God, if you will just do this one thing, this one time, then I'll know you're really real. Anybody else do that? it just me. Okay, good. I'm not alone. Or like, God, if you'll get me out of this jam, I promise you, I'll follow you for the rest of my life. Will you please? Well, God never does miracles to prove himself. Which we can see when the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of his day, approached Jesus with questions, and it says, To test him, there's their motive, to test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. They asked him to do a miracle. Prove to us, Jesus, who you are, who you say you are. Do a miracle. And the next verse, Jesus is like, oh. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation Ask for a sign. Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Jesus refuses to perform miracles to prove himself. Second thing is Jesus never performed a miracle that interfered with God's ultimate plan. I'm gonna show you an example in scripture where in one moment Jesus does a miracle and in the very next moment he refuses to do a miracle that would interfere with God's ultimate plan. We know that right before Jesus went to the cross, he was betrayed by one of his closest friends, one of his disciples named Judas, who had given a sign to the Roman officials that the man I kiss on the cheek is the man that you need to arrest. And Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. praying with his other disciples when Judas and a whole bunch of soldiers walk up and Judas kisses him on the cheek, and they start to come and arrest Jesus. And Peter, who was always like the first one to speak up, he was always the first one to act, kind of, you know, acting out of impetus. He's like, not to my Jesus. No, you don't. And he like, he pulls out his sword and he goes for the jugular. He swings for somebody's head. The high priest servant tries to duck, but he cuts off the guy's ear, it says. And Jesus is like, Peter, Peter, put the swords away. What are you? That's not what we do. And I can imagine if like, when I read the scripture, I try to place myself in the story to imagine what it was like. And can you imagine like the chaos of that moment as there are, you know, a bunch of people there to arrest him, there's all a bunch of commotion and and Jesus is like, wait guys, just where's the ear? Somebody find the ear please. Is Is it over here behind the bush? Where did the ear go? Oh, here it is. And he picks up this bloody ear and does a miracle and reattaches it to the guy's head. But then in the very next moment, Jesus says this to Peter. He says, don't you realize that I could ask my father to do a miracle and send thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly. But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? And one moment he does a miracle In the very next moment, he refuses to do a miracle that would deliver him and his friends from what was about to happen because he knew that God's ultimate plan was that he would go to the cross. His disciples didn't understand it. They didn't know why it had to happen, but God's plan was that he would go to the cross to pay for the sin of mankind, even though it would result in pain and suffering and agony and even death. So Jesus refused to do a miracle because that's what God's ultimate plan was. Even though his disciples didn't understand it, we don't always understand why God doesn't do the miracles we're asking him to do, but we can only see what we're in the middle of right now in our present. But God sees the beginning from the end and we never know what he's working on behind the scenes and what other people might come to faith in him as they watch you walk through your trial he'll never do a miracle that interferes with God's ultimate plan. And thirdly, Jesus never did a miracle where there was no faith. He never performed a miracle where there was no faith. Whenever Jesus would come to his hometown, Nazareth, the people there were not really impressed with him. They're like, Jesus, you grew up here. You spent 30 years here. Like, aren't you Joseph, the carpenter's son? Like, you're that annoying kid that, you know, was the teacher's pet in school that always got the right answers? Like, really? Come on, Jesus, we know you. And it says in Matthew 15, 38, that he did not do many miracles there. Why? Because of their lack of faith. Jesus didn't do miracles where there was no faith. Guys, we have to understand that our faith plays a part when it comes to God's ability to do the miraculous. Our faith moves the heart of God. Three quick examples I wanna give you of Jesus healing someone because of their faith. Number one, you've heard of the woman with the issue of blood. For 12 years, this woman was bleeding. It was a female issue. She was ceremonially unclean, which meant she couldn't go to the temple. She couldn't go to church. It was embarrassing. But she had heard about the stories of this Jesus who was healing people everywhere he went. And she thought to herself, if I, could just, if I could just reach him, if I could just touch the edge of his coat, then I know I'll be healed. And so she builds up enough courage within herself to fight through the crowds that are surrounding Jesus as he's traveling one day. And she reaches him and she just, she just reaches out, touches the hem of his coat, and instantly she's healed. And Jesus, knowing that power had left his body, turned around and said, who touched me? And his disciples are like, are you crazy? Look at the crowd around you. Everyone's touching you. And he's like, no, 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 I know that power left me. Somebody touched me. And this woman, knowing that she's been discovered, because she had tried to like sneak away quietly, comes up to Jesus humbly, and Jesus says to her in Mark 5, 34, daughter, your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. Another time, a leper falls at the feet of Jesus and begins to worship him. And Jesus says to him in Luke 17, 19, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Another time, a blind man knows that Jesus is walking by. He's like, Jesus, I can't see you, but I know you're going by. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowds are loud and trying to shush him. And it says he cries out all the more. He cries out even louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus hears him. He stops and turns around and he tells them to bring the man to him. And Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? Which is a question that we've got to answer. We've got to be able to tell Jesus what we want him to do for us. And the man says, Lord, I want you to restore my sight. And look what Jesus says to him in Mark 10, 52. Go, your faith has healed you. Your faith moves the heart of God. And what's so interesting to me is that when you read all of the gospels, there's only one thing that ever amazed Jesus. Do you know what it was? It was people's faith. And sometimes he was amazed in a way that made him go, wow, that's amazing. And then other times he was so amazed that it was like, wow, is that all the faith you have? Like two extremes, one represented by the Roman centurion who had a servant that was sick, and he comes up to Jesus and says, "Jesus, I'm not even worthy to have you come under my roof, but I'm a man who understands authority, and I can see that you have authority. I know that if you will just say the word that my servant will be healed, He says the word, the servant is healed." And Jesus responds to that man's faith like, "Wow, that's amazing. I have never seen such faith in all of Israel." And then a moment ago, I shared with you how when Jesus was in Nazareth, his hometown, he couldn't do miracles there. He was, it says he was amazed at their lack of faith. So my question to you today is when it comes to your faith, does it make Jesus go, wow, that's amazing? Or does it make him go, wow, That's all the faith you have to believe for? Like, what are the things that you've even prayed for in the last week or two? Are they prayer requests that require a miraculous intervention of a supernatural God? Or are they prayers like, God bless this food and keep me safe today? To which Jesus is like, is that really all you think I'm able to do in your life? Which is it? Is it wow faith or wow? What you pray and ask God for says a lot about what you believe about his abilities. Our faith moves the heart of God. And the good news for those of us who struggle sometimes mustering up enough faith to believe him for the miraculous is that Jesus said it doesn't require a lot of faith. He actually said, if you have faith the size of a small mustard seed, which is a tiny, tiny seed, he said, you can move mountains with just that much faith. That's all it takes. And you can move mountains. You know, in Mark's account of the dad that I talked to you about last week who had a son that was being tormented by a demon that made him mute and was throwing him on the floor and throwing him into the fire. In Mark's account, we read this exchange between the father and and Jesus, where he says to Jesus, like, if you can do anything, please help us. And Jesus responds by saying, if you can do anything. He said, everything is possible for one who believes. And then the dad says something back to Jesus that kind of encapsulates where I feel like I live so much of the time. The dad responds this way in Mark 9, 24. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. If I can interject my own paraphrase, my own thoughts, it's like, I do believe Jesus, but I'm still human. I do believe. I believe you can do it. I'm just not sure you'll do it for me right here, right now. I've seen you do it before, and I don't want to get my hopes up only to be disappointed. I do believe. But help me overcome my unbelief. And Jesus looks on at this imperfect faith, and he's moved with compassion, and he heals the man's son. All it takes is a little bit of faith. I don't know if you've ever been there before. I feel like I live there. I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. Help me with my doubt. God, I do believe that you can heal my son, but I don't know if you're going to do it for me now. My wife and I pray constantly, God, we do believe that you can give us another child. But if I'm being transparent and honest with you today, we struggle with the belief that it's our faith or the level of our faith that's going to determine whether or not God actually gives us the miracle. Maybe you can relate with that. Last Sunday, we actually laid hands on and prayed for a woman in our church named Valerie Rufit. Some of you know who she is, who's pregnant. And the doctors discovered that the baby growing inside her hadn't really developed kidneys. And the prognosis was incredibly dim as they said that he, as soon as he's born, we're going to have to schedule a C-section. And as soon as he's born, we're going to have to put him on dialysis immediately. And he won't be eligible for a kidney transplant until he's at least a year old. And so Pastor Beth, my wife Kelly, and myself last week stood here, laid hands on her, and with all the faith I could muster, I believed with all my heart as we asked God to do a creative miracle and give that little baby boy named Pierce new kidneys so that when he was born, he'd be able to be a testimony of God's miraculous power, astounding and amazing, all the doctors and nurses this Wednesday, she went in for her C-section. And although he has exceeded all of the doctor's expectations for what he would need in terms of medical attention, once he was born, his kidneys still aren't functioning. He's still not healed yet. Not yet. We're still believing, but he's not healed yet. And people have asked me over the years, like pastor, when you pray for these things and they don't happen, does it shake your faith? And I've been following Jesus long enough to honestly tell you here today, no, it really doesn't shake my faith because there's a principle I've learned in my years of following Jesus that I want to share with you today. Listen, our faith is not built or based on what God does. Our faith is based on who God is. Our faith isn't based on what God does or doesn't do in response to a specific request for a miracle. Our faith is is based on a God who loved us so much that he sent his one and only son to pay the price for our sin the most deadly disease that we needed to be healed of the disease of sin God proved his goodness to us when he sent Jesus to the cross it doesn't get any better than that and he proved who he is and what he's capable of when Jesus walked out of that tomb three days after he was murdered our faith isn't based on what God does it's based on who he is We might question the goodness of God when he doesn't come through for us in a miracle, but he proved his goodness to us when he went to the cross. Jesus says we need to approach him with faith like a child. And I don't know about you, those of you that have kids, those of you that are parents in the room, like when my boys come up to me and they say, Daddy, can we go out for ice cream? If daddy says, yes, we can go out for ice cream, guess what? They don't doubt it. They just take me at my word and they believe it's going to happen. And the only time they bring it up again is if they feel like they need to remind me of what I've already said. They don't wonder whether or not our budget has room in it for ice cream. They don't wonder if I've talked to mommy and have gotten on the same page with her whether or not it was okay. They just trust the provider of their home. They don't wonder if the lights have been, you know, the electric bill has been paid. They just said, Daddy said we're going for ice cream. I trust that we're going for ice cream. And when it comes to faith, guys, Jesus said in Matthew that, you know, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will you give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? And it was a rhetorical question because none of us would do that. And Jesus says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to his children who ask? We need to ask, but when we ask, we just have to approach him like a child that just trusts what daddy has said, that I am the Lord who heals. I heal all of your diseases. By his stripes, we are healed. Do you remember the definition that I gave you a couple months ago for faith in the Daniel Dilemma series? I'm gonna put it up on the screen for you again because I think it's appropriate and will help us today. Faith is the belief that God can. We've seen you do it before, God. I believe you're able, coupled with the confidence that he'll do it for us too, followed by our trust, even if he does not. And that's real faith. When we trust him, even when we don't get the answer that we've been asking him for, because our faith isn't based on what God does. It's based on who God is. He is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And So when we pray, we pray with every ounce of faith that we can muster. When Kelly and I pray, we pray with full confidence and assurance of faith that he will do a miracle and give us a child. When we pray for Valerie and her son Pierce, we're praying with all the faith that we can muster that God is still going to heal that little boy and he's going to be a walking miracle that will lead others to Christ because he will be a testimony of the power of our living God. My faith has been stirred this week along with the faith of many of our staff members and dream team members who've been praying and fasting all week that want to see a move of God in our day, in our midst. Because we've seen it before, guys. We've had miracles happening here, not just miracles of life change. Our own Alice Clarkson about six months ago experienced a miracle. And rather than me telling you about her story, I want you to hear it directly from here, from her. So we've got a little video. Check out her story.
1: My name is Alice Clarkson, and uh, this is my story. I met my husband, Rich, uh, on Match.com, and we, we had a magical beginning. Um, our life at the start was full of love and happiness, and we were achieving our dreams. I was a bit of a rock star chef, really loved my job. I was at a place where I could see myself retiring in the career that I was in and uh, wanted it, wanted it really badly. And then it all sort of fell apart and it happened in an instant. So August 6, 2013. was a day that should have been like any other day, but that day, I reached in to grab my pans that I used every day, and the shelf that they were on fell on my arm. Um, my arm probably should have broken, but it didn't, and uh, instead, it crushed the nerves in my arm. What happened from that point was the nerves in my arm did not heal. And so I was diagnosed after two failed attempts surgically to fix the nerves, was diagnosed with a disease called CRPS, which is complex regional pain syndrome. CRIPS is the worst on, on the pain scale, and, and obviously childbirth is at the top, most people think of the pain scale, CRIPS is actually above childbirth. Um, and I can attest to that. I have two boys and CRIPS is the most painful thing I've ever experienced. Uh, there were days where getting out of bed was a challenge. And when I did get out of bed, I was deathly afraid of being touched. Um, when people would touch me, The pain that happened almost brought me to tears and actually sometimes did bring me to tears. After my doctors decided that I could not maintain a lifetime of drugs, um, including opioids, um, which I was on the highest dose that they could give me, um, they decided to implant a spinal stimulator. When they implanted my first spinal stimulator, which um, started at c4 and goes down to the middle of my back crips then spread to my left leg because of the stimulator implant my doctors at that point decided that a second stimulator was necessary the second stimulator going in made an enormous difference and my pain levels were kept at a about a 50% which is is manageable most people when they get out of bed you know if they're honest with themselves feel pain 50% of the time so I felt very comfortable that I was just like everybody else um, in pain but not debilitating pain things started to look up and uh I started being able to move, and what happened next was really interesting. I lost a little weight, and the stimulators, the IPGs, which are the little computers in your back, became loose in my back, which caused Crips flare-ups almost every day. The minute I would get out of bed, they would move, and my Crips would go out of control. Crips is a very rare disease. And it's one that most people have never heard of. And as it turns out, there are two of us at this beautiful little church that have it. And Greg, who actually has been battling it for 20 years, was up at the front of the stage that day. And we were um, going to lay hands on him because he was in the middle of a a bad flare-up. When we were going to lay hands on Greg, who desperately needed our prayers that day, I was standing between Pastor Pete and Kelly. Out of the blue, Pastor Pete took my head in his hands. Although I was up there to pray for Greg, <laughs> I, was, I was being prayed over. And what was, or what should have been an incredible, uncomfortable moment for me because I was bent over and my stimulators were not in a comfortable place, I felt at peace. My initial reaction, which would have been to back away from what could have been intensely painful, I leaned in instead. Pastor Pete prayed, Kelly prayed, Within a few minutes it was over and uh, I stood up and Rich and I left for home. We really didn't talk about it at all until the next morning. I woke up and I looked at him and said, "I'm, I'm not in pain. My first reaction was to grab my phone. I felt the need to let Pastor Pete know exactly what had just happened. So I just sent him a simple text that said, I'm pain free. My disease, Prips, is still very present in my body, but the pain is not. Since that day at the front of the stage, I have been pain free. I have been able to use my hands which was not possible before. And I feel my strength coming back a little more every day. I think that that's what God wanted me to know, was that he didn't want me to hide my disease. He was able to get into the details of my disease and heal me in a way where my story really matters. It was almost as if you can imagine a piece of coal. So Crips was a piece of coal. And God was the jeweler. And he just stripped away the parts of the coal that made it ugly and revealed this gift, which is a diamond. So my disease is now my diamond, and God's given me a story to tell. And I'm able to share it so that people can understand that if you have hope,
0: Healed. Come on, somebody. 188 days ago, Alice Clarkson experienced a supernatural healing touch from God, and she has been pain free every single day since. Incredible! Don't tell me God doesn't still do miracles. And what God did for Alice Clarkson, he can do for you. Scripture says he is no respecter of persons. And so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray for those of you who need healing in your bodies. And we're gonna do it biblically. And so in a moment, as you can see, the band is on stage. They're gonna lead us in that song that we sang earlier. This is a move. Because miracles happen when you move. Healing is coming in this room. And we're going to lay hands on you when we're going to pray for you because we're going to do it biblically. Because James says in James chapter 5 that he says, Is any among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. And so we're going to anoint you with oil at this time. I want to invite those who are on our prayer team. We've got elders of the church, people on staff, and those who I've asked that have the prayer team lanyards to take positions at the front corners of the auditorium as well as in the back. And when we start to sing in just a moment, those of you who need healing in your bodies, and it doesn't, doesn't have to only be in your body. Psalm 147.3 says, The Lord heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He can heal you physically. He can heal you emotionally. He can heal you spiritually. We've all got oil. We're going to anoint you with oil, just like Scripture says, which is symbolic of the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to see what God does. We're going to take him at his word. We're going to approach him like children who believe that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, that this is our rightful inheritance as children of God to receive this healing, that Jesus took stripes on his back, on his body, so that we could have healing in our body. So at this time, I want to invite those of you to stand. Everyone stand as we get ready to worship and sing. This is a move. If you need prayer, come to the front or head to the back.